0: I was walking the halls, and as most people know, uh, some schools are done. Some are about to be done. Some are counting the days. We have three and a half, but who's counting? But I was walking the halls this week, and I ran across this. I don't know if you can see that. It is a pencil. (laughs) Believe it or not, it is a pencil. And I thought to myself, there's got to be a story. I can tell you, when I first started teaching many years ago, before I went into pastoring, I taught a fourth grade, a fourth and fifth, and uh, I would see a pencil like this and I would usually discourage it for a couple of reasons, the same reason that my fourth grade teacher today discourages it. You really don't handle this properly, it's a little bit too short. And so therefore, when I looked at this, I thought, wow, most people would throw this out, but there's still an inch left of lead in this thing. And Pastor Don was very astute and noticed right away that it must not have made very many mistakes because most of the eraser is still there. But it reminded me of another component, and that is the parable of the pencil maker. We've all seen pencils. They come like this initially, almost seven inches long of lead, but as you can tell by the one I just had in my hand, doesn't use You don't use all seven inches of it. You use just enough to be able to put it down. But most students don't necessarily like these. But this reminded me of a story that I ran across a number of years ago, and I decided it would be fitting to share with you today in talking about where we're going. The pencil maker, before putting this pencil into the box, pulled this pencil aside, and he said to it, there are five things that you need to know. And if you will remember them, you will be the best pencil that you can possibly be. So, before he put him into the box, he told him these five things. Number one, you will be able to do many great things, but only if you allow yourself to be held in someone else's hand. Number two, you will experience a painful sharpening from time to time, but you'll need it in order to become a better pencil. Number three, you will be able to correct any mistakes that you might make. Number four, The most important part of you will always be what's on the inside. And number five, on the surface that you are used on, you must leave your mark. No matter what the condition, you must continue to write. The pencil understood that and promised to remember and went into the box with purpose in its heart. Well, as you know, a parable is just a short story with a moral lesson or a spiritual application for us. And parables are those kind of things that Jesus spoke a lot of. And in fact, Luke's gospel talks about 33 of those parables. And in the midst of that, Jesus had a story for every one of those. And that's what I want to share with you today. But let me set the stage just briefly, because I'm not going to talk about all 33 parables. I want to key in on one in Luke's gospel, chapter 12, and it is in your notes. But the context is this Jesus is in the last month of his ministry. The, the growing oppression that has come from the Pharisees has built to such magnitudes, they don't know what to do with him. The crowds have gotten so large that they're literally falling all over each other to try to get to press into Jesus. And in the midst of that, Jesus is now telling, he's taking it up a notch with his disciples, as well as with those that are around him. And he says, I have a story, a parable similar to that one that I want to share with you. Jesus is going to give some words of encouragement and warning. And I believe that they apply to us today. And so let's pick that up. And it's in your notes in Luke's gospel, chapter, thir- uh, chapter 12, starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me.' And Jesus replied, "'Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you?' Then he said to them, "'Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed.' Life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. That's a popular conception amongst our culture today, that our life really exists by the amount of things that we have grown to pull together. And not even the amount, but sometimes the quality. Story is told of two men that are shipwrecked on an island. One started screaming and yelling to the top of his lungs and jumping all over saying, we're going to die, we're going to die. There's no food, there's no water. We're gonna die right here. The second man just propped himself up against a palm tree and drove the first one crazy. And he said, don't you get it? Don't you understand? We're going to die. The second man replied, you don't understand. I make $100,000 a week. And the first man looking at him saying, I don't, you, you don't get, this doesn't make sense to me. What difference does it make how much money you make? The first man and the second one then responded and said, you just don't get it. I make $100,000 a week and I tithe on that $100,000. My pastor will find me. (laughs) You see, that's part of the perception that the church is all about today, is that it's all about the money. We laugh at that because we somewhat relate to it. But I will tell you that life doesn't consist of the abundance of the things, nor should it be any different as to the way we treat one another or the way we should be treated. Whether you have more than I do does not matter. So what does life really consist of? You know as well as I do. This morning is more of a reminder to you, and that is life consists of relationship. In fact, relationships are far more important than anything that we can pull together in our possessions. Scripture tells us, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but yet forfeits his soul? You may make a ton of money, and if you're like me, I stopped and thought for a minute, man, what could I do with that kind of money per week? You know, you started spending it. I know some of you are still there. Come with me, all right? (laughs) But understand, and the rest of the story is I'll tell you, The the man may have said his pastor would come find him, not because he ties, but because of relationship. See, you thought it was all about the money, and it's not. I will tell you, Jesus is making a key point here because here's what happens. In the midst of this crowd pressing in and Jesus begins to teach a lesson, out of the blue, somebody hollers out to him and says, Teacher, Jesus, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Jesus recognizes right away that it's a much deeper issue than that. You see, the customary law of the, time, of the day, it's different than what you and I have. In fact, the law at that time said that sons were the only ones who had the right to inherit. And the first son in a family, when there was an inheritance, would get double the share of the family's estate. So suddenly somebody's pressing in and asking Jesus to settle a personal matter. I find it rather interesting that he presses in and Jesus' response was... Who am I that was appointed judge and arbiter between you? Well, you are the son of God. You are Jesus of all people. You are the the maker of the world. I mean, there is no one higher than that. So it's, it's kind of like going to whoever the supreme authority is in the place and saying, would you please come settle this for me? Jesus doesn't even stop there. He basically goes on and he says, now here's a warning. The question is, is he talking to the man or is he talking to the crowd? I think he's talking to all of us. And here's what he said with the warning. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, you can circle that word if you've got a pen or at least mentally in your your head. All kinds. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. Because isn't there only one? No. But let's look for a minute. What does the word greed mean? All it means basically in the original Greek language is it's a thirst for having more. Greed is a thirst for having more. Now, the caution here is that we would look at our motive. Pastor just finished a series talking about the will, the center of who we are, and then our heart and our mind and how it all affects our our, our behaviors. And if you didn't get that series and haven't gone through that, it's great to be able to understand that. But our particular will is what shapes everything else. And what Jesus is saying is, let's keep our motives in check. Does that mean that I shouldn't want more of something? Well, it depends. Do you have a thirst for more? We need to provide for our own needs and for the needs of our family. In fact, that also is biblical. But we're being cautioned about how important it is to not have an appetite for too much more. That doesn't mean when we run out of something at the house and your wife says, do we need to get more of something? That's not greedy. That's providing. Greed is when we take it a step farther. And why is it that we want more? Greed is not something that is just for those that are the rich, those that have an abundance. Greed is something that affects all of us. For Jesus himself said that we need to be careful of all kinds of greed. The prevailing view back then amongst the Jews was this, that if you had an awful lot of things, it pretty much meant that God blessed you. He was pleased with you. And if you were poor, it pretty much said in culturally that God wasn't pleased with you and didn't give you enough. I don't think that's changed much, do you? I think a lot of people, it's an unwritten thing, but you won't find that anywhere in scripture. In fact, Jesus teaches just the opposite. I didn't put these in your notes, but let me highlight. In fact, Jesus says this. In Luke 13, he says you can't serve both God and money. In his opinion, riches are then an obstacle to salvation as well as discipleship. The rich often live as if they have absolutely no need of God. That's an interesting concept because if we have enough, where is that idea that we're depending on him for everything that we have? I love what Timothy says, he says we've got to guard those who are wanting or desirous of getting rich, they fall into temptation, and all kinds of evil or harmful desires. And he ends it with verse 10 saying, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So is money bad? No, it's not, it's a tool, it's meant to be used for that. We circled that word all kinds. In this particular portion and in the scriptures that follow all the way to verse 40, we're gonna look at that briefly this morning, We're going to see three kinds of greed that I think Jesus has given us a warning in the midst of a parable. And he's also given us an antidote. So in this midst of our walking in obedience and trying to be better at doing life together and reaching out to the community and the sphere that God has given to us, I want to look at those. The very first one that he mentions is that life is not about my stuff. Real technical, isn't it? Life is not about my stuff. What do you mean it's not about my stuff? Well, let's look at it. In verse 16, we pick it up. Just after Jesus has told him to be careful and to watch out, he says this. He told him this parable The ground of a certain rich man ab- a- yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for yourself for many years to come. Take life easy eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then you will get what you've prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with anyone with whomever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now, here's the assumption. The assumption is is that the man has been blessed by God because of an abundant crop. The reality is he is being tested by God, not blessed by God. What do I mean by that? It's very simple. What Jesus is making is an illustration and a point here is that here we've got somebody who immediately says, I am going to tear down what I currently have and I'm gonna build something bigger just so that I can live on easy street. Greed is what set in and Jesus knew that. When this man in the crowd said, Jesus, Tell my brother to share the inheritance. He recognized that there was a greedy heart there. He wasn't pleased with the portion of inheritance that he already received. He wanted more of that. Jesus uses this as an opportunity to tell him this parable. Anytime that we start selfishly grasping at having more things, greed sets in. So don't think that greed is just for those that are wealthy. It's for all of us because he's telling us all to do that. But here's the other part. Notice what, in this particular parable, what it says. I'm going to do this. I'm going to tear down what I currently have and get something better. Kind of reminds me of, I have good, reliable transportation getting me to work, but you know what? It's not as nice as the car next to me. I think now that I'm getting a bigger paycheck and I'm making more money, I think I'll trade it in for something else. Now, we don't tell people necessarily brag on that. We just all of a sudden start doing that. And when we do that, it's, we have to question our motives. Is it really greed or is it just something that we wanted? But I also want to point out something out in this parable. The guy actually never did build the barns. In fact, he didn't even get to the planner. He didn't get to the architect. According to this parable, he just thought about it in his mind. He actually never did accomplish it. And in the midst of this, Jesus says in this parable, your very life will be demanded of you. You will have to give an answer right now. Selfish, greedy people no longer find their goals and fulfillment centered on God, but rather on their things and their possessions. Or maybe even the dreams of something bigger. There's nothing wrong with dreaming, but the question is, what's the motive that goes behind it? You know, I I was told years ago, when it comes to ministry, dare to dream a dream so big that only God can pull it off. Because you know why? God wants to be in the middle of everything that you and I are doing. And that's the, that's the reason for this. If you think about it, the tragedy of Lot's wife was that, wasn't just that she looked back, but that her heart was in the possessions of this world and that's why she had to look back. And when she did, it cost her her very life. It's the same thing that could happen with us. So in other words, striving after wealth has in it the seed of total alienation from God. That's the lesson here. True riches of a follower of Jesus, I love this part, consists of faith and love in him and it expresses itself in self-denial and following Jesus. Philippians two, verses three through five, basically says to make my joy complete by being like-minded. I love what he says there, what Paul writes to the Philippians where he says, you understand then in the midst of this, that if you wanna be like Jesus, who didn't consider himself equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself in the form of a servant, a servant. And in that day, servants were a whole lot more degraded than what we think of today. And we're told to be just like him. If you wanna truly be rich, then you understand you've gained the freedom that we have from things. We need those, but we need to forsake them. Hebrews 13, 5 says it this way: keep yourselves free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, or never will I forsake you. So, we have this problem. Life's not about my stuff. Well, what's the antidote? How do I keep that from happening? You do it by having not a thirst for more, but have a thirst for God. Having a thirst for more of God. That's part of the reason that we've gathered here today. Yes, we've come here for fellowship. But we've actually come here to worship him, to gain more understanding of him, and to hopefully be challenged by the teaching of his word that it would cause you to walk more in obedience with him. That's the attitude. That's the proper attitude. So I'm not asking you to get rid of your stuff. I'm just telling you don't worship it and realize that it's got to be more, that, we're, that it's given to us for stewardship. God says, I've given it to you for that particular reason. We must be generous and willing to share, therefore be rich in deeds. Ephesians 4, 28 says everyone must work so that they have something to share. I love that part. Everyone must be willing to work so that they have something to share. Money can be a good servant, but it's a poor master. Which brings me up to the second point that Jesus is making here. Number two, life is not about anxiety. Oh, okay, that one hit home. In case you were saying, I don't have much money and that's not a problem for me, do you ever worry? For here's what Jesus said in verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, yet they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And by the way, you could buy five birds for a penny in this particular point. So that's why the point is even heavier. Who of you by worrying then can add an even a single hour to your life? Since you, do, you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor. They do not spend. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... How much more will then he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or what you will drink. Do not worry about it. I know you're automatically thinking of lunch, aren't you? (laughs) Scripture says, don't worry about it, all right? He says, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and all these things, and it will be given to you. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near or no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not wrong for us to want physical things for our provision, for our needs. Not at all. But it is wrong for us to be anxious or to worry about it. It shows a lack of faith in who God is. So in case you're thinking, well, Pastor John, I'm not too worried about money. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. But there are times that we do worry, and there are times that we go through it. And in case you're thinking, even in the midst of this, that we never deal with that, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you something that happened just within the last two weeks. So Lisa and I decided that we were downsizing or upsizing or something. We went from a condo to a house, and we moved on Friday night. In the midst of that, the condo came with a washer and dryer, but we needed one now. And so she went on this site called Virage Sale. You probably Some of you are familiar with it, never heard of it. And she found a washer and dryer, and she inquired on it. She was the first one. She actually had mentioned to the lady, she was up early morning. Sometimes I woke up in the morning, and she's got her phone right there, and she's doing something on it. And at 7.56 in the morning, uh, this lady responded, and she said, "Um, uh, can we come by and see it? And the lady responded, and she said, yes. Um, Just let me know what time you would like to see them, and we'll set up a time, and I'll let you know. A couple of minutes later at 8.07, Celeste responded with, great, how about 4.15 today? No response. We went through the day. Two o'clock came. I asked if she'd heard. She hadn't heard a word. Four o'clock came. 4.15. Nothing. We didn't even know where to go. Had no idea. The day went. We went into the evening. We sat down for dinner, and I looked at her, and I said, see there, I told you that thing's a scam. (laughs) I started worrying. That washer and dryer was too good to be true. I knew it. The price was right. It would work. Nothing. The next day, you know, she said, what did you just relax? And I got to tell you, I wasn't relaxed. Because now I'm thinking, you know, anything good is gone. But I just thought, it's not going to work. At 4.15 the next day, we got a response. And I, I just thought, wow. Here's what the response was from the lady. I had to write it down. Sorry, I had my baby yesterday. We are driving home from the hospital now, so let me know if another time will work for you. Oh my word. I felt about that big. And my wife looked at me and just went, told you so. The story gets even better, folks, let me tell you. What happened is we set up a time very next day. We did go see it. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's clean. They didn't know exactly how old it was, but uh, I was a LECOM student, and uh, we agreed on a price. Everything worked out great. And so we left there. We didn't really set up a, a particular time, and she said, oh, by the way, she texts back, and she says, I meant to tell you, we were hoping, this was on like the 13th. She says, I was hoping that we could keep the washer and dryer until Friday the 27th. Because that's when we're moving, and now with, that was their second child, we were hoping to keep the washer and dryer. And I responded back with, that's really funny. It's just like God, folks, just like God. I just touched me. I said, that's really funny. I forgot to ask you if you would hold them until the 27th, because that's when we're moving. (laughs) We packed up our house at 4 o'clock on Friday. We agreed at 5.30 to pick it up at her house, which was on the way to our new place, God said, do not worry about what you will wear or the provisions that you need, but will you trust me? And I sat back and go, okay. (laughs) You see, that's exactly, and I could give you, you probably have your own example. These words of Jesus, though, they contain God's promises for all of us, no matter what we face, be it trouble or be it uncertainty. God has promised to provide for everything that we need. We need not worry if we'll seek and let him reign in each of our lives. We can be sure of this, that he'll, resu- uh, he'll assume full responsibility. How do I know that? Philippians 4.6 says, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, um, even a washer and dryer. In everything, by prayer and petition. I gotta tell you folks, I didn't pray over a washer and dryer. It worked. With thanksgiving in your heart, present your request to God. It's that simple. takes us a step farther. Ever since this happened, the last two weeks, I have to tell you, and I did put this in your notes, Psalm 68, verse 19, look at what this says. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears up our burdens. I like that. I, I, I also looked at it in a couple of other versions. Listen to this. In the English Standard Version, it says, blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. How to, is that awesome or what? If, you, if, if, if that doesn't sink in, you've you got to let it. You've got to just meditate on that for a second. in recognizing that Scripture's telling us God knows about every detail of who we are. So much so that He says, even the minutest details of what's for lunch or what you're going to put on, what clothes you're going to wear. You ever stood in front of your closet and looked at all those clothes and said, I have nothing to wear? what an absurd statement and we're so worried about that Uh, maybe a little greedy oh yeah well I just want you to know God bears up our burdens and he's waiting for us like a gentleman to say will you let me take it we're not to be anxious so what's the antidote for not being anxious you need to have a thirst for meditating on the promises find a promise you know, Jeremiah 29, 11 wasn't written for somebody else. It was written for us, folks. For I know the plans I have for you and you and you. Plans to give you, to, to prosper you. Plans to give you a future and a hope and not harm you. you got to understand that. Ephesians two ten says that we, you and I, are God's workmanship. We have been created in him to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. He invites us to be a part but he doesn't push us. Well, just when you think maybe one and two might have hit you a little bit as far as that's concerned, here's number three. Life is not about all the busyness. And he goes on in verse 35. Be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So when he comes and knocks knocks on the door, they can immediately open the door for him. It would be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. He will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It would be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what day the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. Verse 40, you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour, you do not expect him. Jesus gave us a clear warning of what life was gonna be like. In one word, busy. Is life busy? Oh my word. Those smartphones have made it even worse. But they don't have to. But Jesus said you're gonna be busy. Life's not about being busy. And he goes on and he says, now, you know, wait a minute. There is a group here that says that we are to be ready. Now, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to know that my whole life I've heard, Jesus is coming, and we need to be ready. And there's a group that might say, well, you know what? I've heard that forever. Who knows? But did you know he may come before I finish this message? He may come before the morning comes. And there'd be some, according to this particular passage of Scripture, there's some that would sit back and say, well, wait a minute, I'm not I'm not ready. I don't have everything in order. I've not studied like I should. What's the holdup? The holdup is we've gotten busy. And sometimes in the midst of being busy, we fail to realize that it's not just about being that. Last week, we heard from Andy that life is a race. And he shared with us from, from Hebrews chapter 12 about running that race and how sometimes we carry those extra rocks and we need to drop those things. Well, we understand in a race, you know, for instance, typically, even if it's cross country or long distance, you know that there's a finish line and you probably have a good idea if you're in a race, how much farther it is to that finish line. And therefore we would prepare or pace ourselves or walk it through, but life, we don't know exactly when it's over. It could be over at any moment and we don't know. Just like the parable of the one who says, hey, I've got plenty that'll last me forever. And yet... Jesus says in that parable, God said, no, your very soul is going to be demanded of you right now. Pop quiz, here it is. And therefore, we understand that when something's measurable, I can prepare for that. I think the reason that Jesus didn't give us exactly when he is coming back is so that we would be ready. But I will tell you, I'm here to tell you this morning, and the message isn't about that, but you've got to understand, just like that parable of pencil, we got to be ready at all times not just when, we, when it's convenient. Life's also like an education. We know exactly how many more units we need to graduate. For some, next Saturday, we'll have a graduation here where we've got 26 students that are graduating. They've fulfilled what they've needed to. That is, if they pass their final exams this week, we'll find out. But we know when the end is, and we've got to understand that. But he basically is saying, blessed, or it would be good for those servants who are found watching and ready. Now, What's the antidote for busyness? The antidote is that we must have a thirst to be all in. We must give an all. God doesn't want more of you. He wants all of you. He wants all of you. Um, Celeste and I had an opportunity. Our anniversary was last month, April 17th. and As part of that, we had an opportunity to get out of town. And We decided that uh, the following weekend, we went out of town to see two of our daughters who live in Texas. And we were down there almost a month ago, on April 24th, we were in a Sunday service. Pastor Scott Wilson was, is the pastor down there, and he was preaching a series, a four-week series on being all in. And they're in a stewardship campaign, and they're getting ready to do something that God has asked them to do. And it's a fairly large church where my gir- girls go. And in the midst of that, I'm there as a visitor. Pastor Scott challenges everybody not with to give a certain amount of money. They did have a goal that they were shooting for. But he was asking that everybody be all in. And when he said that, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me as well as I'm sitting there thinking, I'm out of town. And, and I felt like the Lord says, I don't want just more of you. I want all of you. And so I sat there in that service, and I literally began to weep because I thought, God, I've given you everything I've got. And he said, no, you haven't. You haven't given me everything. You haven't given it all to me. And I said, okay, God, I'll give you all. I'll give you everything I've got, whatever that is. Well, what I didn't realize is in that same service was a lady by the name of Candace. And uh, in the same church, in the same city, Waxahachie, Texas. And she did the same thing. A housewife, 37 years old, mother of two. And she asked God, God, what is it you want me to do? I'm busy taking care of two small kids at home. How can I make an influence? How can I do life together? How can I share with those that are around me? But I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I'm all in. Well, Candace, from that service, that following Wednesday night, what we didn't know, and uh, I didn't know at the time, but uh, that Wednesday night she felt led to go to a particular restaurant. While she was at that restaurant, um, there was just one other lady. She struck up a conversation with her, and this lady had just uh, raised her daughters, put two of them through college, and was feeling led to want to go to college herself but didn't have the money. And Candace felt like in the midst of that she had $20 left as a as a stay-at-home mom to last her the rest of the week. And she felt led at that moment to give her that $20 as seed faith for this lady to go to college. She felt like the Lord said, you said you're all in. Will you give it all to me even if it's 20 bucks? Candace gave her that $20. On Friday morning, Candace had a gift certificate to Kohl's and went to Kohl's and bought a mask. It's called the Chewbacca mask. You probably saw the video that came out on Friday morning. Candace is on the worship team with my daughter Charity at Waxahachie in Texas, church called The Oaks. I did not know this, but I want to share with you a five-minute clip of an, of an interview that was done immediately with Candace because after all this had happened and what's transpired there are over 117 million views now of that particular video and i'm not going to show you the video if you haven't seen it you can look it up but probably most of you in here have seen it by now but what you haven't seen is what's happened behind the scenes and what i didn't know realizing that it's a very small world candice was in that same service that we were in at that same time and she speaks to a group of young people who are 16, 17 or so, fine arts students. It's the regional fine arts in Texas at this particular point. And she's interviewed, and I've asked for a part of that clip to be shown. I want you to see that.
1: Uh, But here's what's awesome about this is the timing of it. Is When we saw this video, this wasn't something that was planned. It was honestly, tell me about what kind of was going through your mind when you walked out, I mean, totally stoked about the mask, right? We get that. But then, like, why... (laughs) why you said something at the end of the video that I think is the the hook where you 're going but why why post the video what was you said it even back there about the encouragement that maybe you were wanting to be to some people and how using that just your personality and that just has been a blessing so what was going through your mind in using that uh, well i 'm a stay
2: at home mom and i 've got a six and seven year old and so usually when I go get something that the kids are going to eventually get a hold of, I only have like a small reserve time by myself with that item and so I was thinking <laughs> This is an amazing find. This is Chewbacca that makes sound. So I knew it was gonna be glorious in and of itself. So I took it out of the box and I was like, no, 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 I can't do this. I have to unveil this to my Facebook friends because it's that worthy. And so I, I just start, look, take it, I put it on and I could see myself in this rear view camera on my phone And when I lean my head back that first time is when you're going to see the giggles come because all of a sudden I realized that's the happiest Chewbacca I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And not only that, spoiler alert, but Han Solo is dead, okay? Chewbacca got his joy back! I was like freaking out! I'm like, this is so awesome! When I said... It's that I'm the happiest Chewbacca or whatever. That's the, hap- like, I really was thinking he's got his joy back. Yeah. I felt like it was a win for Star Wars, for Chewbacca, for the whole world. Yeah. And I was only talking to a dash iPhone, right? You know, so, uh, but I saw my friends while I was doing it, just commenting. Oh, that's hilarious. Hilarious. And because they were saying that and I'm seeing myself, I couldn't stop laughing. And I mean, I tried, I, there were things in my head, like, You've got to pick up your kids in like 30 minutes. Get it together. <laughs> you are a grown woman. You just turned 37. There's people walking by. Take the mask off. You know, like all that's going on here. But, but the joy was just, <laughs> well, y'all saw it. So, yeah, couldn't stop. And you know what? And as the end, it, I, just, I just said, it's the simple joys. Man, that made my whole day with nobody there. And apparently it made the whole world's day. So...
1: It's huge. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! So, one more thing, just another angle of this, and this is what's what's really cool. You said something backstage just a minute ago, and one of the reasons some of your moms and dads are going, "Hey, cool, awesome," but let's get to fine arts. Here's why we reached out to Candace and and asked this question because the truth is, is these kids have incredible talents and gifts that they are. Maybe not making a video and sharing it with the world, or maybe you do, and it's just the same principle of taking what God's given inside of you, and not just you know, fun, incredibly contagious personality, but like I said, worship leader and got incredible testimony of what God's doing. I love what you said even after the video, just in your, your your house just praying to God, give me you know the ability to use this platform. Um, obviously, that's why you're here today because there's a spotlight on what God is using. If there's a talk to these students, you said it a minute ago, if you could say anything to kids that are just trying to figure out how to use their gifts, encourage them a little bit.
2: Okay, this is for y'all. I'm not gonna talk with you now. All right. I mean, you can listen. <laughs> We're still friends. Uh, I just really <laughs> felt like if I was gonna come to a room like in the hype of this moment right now and speak to myself at your age. When I was 16, I had a vision and a dream from the Lord about my future being used for his glory. I didn't understand the interpretation of it. I still, to this day at 37 years old, try to figure that dream out. But that dream has never left my heart nor my mind nor the way that I walk and follow Jesus, right? And I know that God has gifted me in many different areas and I, sometimes I feel like I wake up and I'm a jack of many trades and a master of none because I have that creative buzz in me constantly going. Can I tell you what I've learned? And I would tell myself at your age is this it doesn't matter how talented, how anointed, how gifted, how passionate, or how willing you are if you're not fit to do the things that God has called you to do. And that is spiritually fit. The thing that will take you further and farther in the kingdom of God is three things. Diligence, be diligent in the work of the Lord. Patience, have those moments where you stop and you wait upon the Lord. Don't rush into ministry or a good opportunity because it looks shiny. Wait for the voice of God to direct you. And then the third thing, it's the biggest thing, if I could get to my 16-year-old self, is have obedience. When he tells you, move, move. When he tells you, stop, stop. When he tells you, indulge in the delights of my table, indulge. But when he tells you, that's not yours, you can't have it, step away. Do not try to make a name for yourself. His name will always outshadow yours. Right? Right? I love
0: y'all. Is that powerful or what? You see, that's the rest of the story. When the whole world is looking at a crazy lady laughing hysterically with a mask on, and you say, what is all that nut stuff about? You realize, I had no idea when I first heard it. It, it dawned on me this week when I was listening even to the radio when I heard... Somebody on CTL talking about that particular mask and, and how crazy that was. What I didn't realize until just yesterday afternoon was that Charity is on the worship team with Candace. and that, again, she was asking, God, what can you do with me? Just a single, I mean, not single, but she is married, just a stay-at-home mom and going through that. You may be sitting back saying, I'm not sure where I can fit. That's not the point. It's about diligence Patience, not the busyness, and obedience. I put in your, com- in your notes a commentary that's a that, that, uh, quote by Martin Luther. It says this, Take a look at your own heart, and you will soon find out what is stuck to it and where your treasure is. It's easy to determine whether hearing the word of God, living according to it, and achieving a life gives you as much enjoyment and calls forth as much diligence from you as does accumulating and saving money and property. It's the simplest things of life. It is. It literally is about that. we got to remember, life's not about my stuff. Life's not about being anxious. Life's really about walking in obedience to what the Lord has for us. Let's live according to his promises. God never, never, ever insisted or demanded obedience from us. That's why many of the comments he made, he said in the beginning, if you want to, to be great, then deny yourself and follow me. It's about if. He's a gentleman. To be my disciple, you must give up your right to be yourself and be who you are. He's not talking about the, our, our, our particular uh, eternal position, but he's talking about our value to him in this life. God can use. I mean, that that lady had no idea. I will tell you, in the story, in the commentator that I read on this, is that after she gave that $20 to that lady, seed money, as she was walking out, she felt like the Holy Spirit just spoke to her heart and said, I am going to use you in ways that are blow your mind. That was Wednesday night. Look at what happened on Friday morning as a result. And ever since then, she's been interviewed on the BBC, on the, the, the National Radio Network. She was actually on Good Morning America last week live. I mean, all because of a silly mask. And she only sent it to her friends who sent it to their friends who sent it to their friends and it just took off. God does amazing things. The Lord does not give us rules, but he makes standards very clear. And if we'll walk in obedience to those, he says, you don't get it. You don't get it. Sometimes we keep trying to do it ourselves when what he's really saying is just follow me. If you love me, don't hesitate. If you hesitate, hesitate. Maybe there's something there, some kind of greed that's still in our lives. In my personal life, it may be crowded with small, petty little happenings that may seem altogether insignificant. But if I obey Jesus Christ in the seemingly random circumstances of my life, they become pinholes through which I can see then the face of God. And in doing that, when I stand face to face before him... And when I recognize all I've done has been obedient in the littlest things, it's amazing that my obedience can bless thousands of others. And it's the same with you. Now, we may or may not be used to the extent that Candace is. That's up to God. That's not up to us. And that isn't something that she really sought. But I can tell you that in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 15, basically Jesus said, If you love me, then keep my commands. And I want to close with the application of the parable of the pencil. Now replacing the pencil with you, I want you to always remember and never forget and then you will become the best person that you can possibly be. Number one, you will be able to do many great things but only allow your, only if you allow yourself to be held in God's hand and allow other human beings to access you through the many gifts that you possess. Number two, You will experience a painful sharpening from time to time by going through various problems, but you'll need them in order to become a better person. Number three, you will be able to correct any mistakes that you might make. And number four, the most important part of you will always be what's on the inside. And number five, on every surface you walk through, you must leave your mark. No matter what the situation, you must continue to do your duties. By understanding and remembering these, let us all then proceed with our life on this earth, having a meaningful purpose in our heart. Would you stand? Father God, we pause now at the end of this to thank you. Thank you for the very reminder of the fact that you are in control. And you are in charge. Lord, we yield ourselves to you. We are all in. I give you every part of who I am. And I challenge these people this morning, Lord, to do the very same thing. To recognize that we just don't hold back. Because when we give it all to you, you have great things planned. You are at work in this world and you're inviting us to be a part of it. And so I ask now, Lord, that your blessing would go with us, go before us. And may we once again rise up to meet the challenge, not that we do it on our own, but that we are warned of three different types of greed that can set in our hearts. And thank you for the antidote to be able to combat each of those. So may we walk out of here today in obedience to you, for that we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. And if you're in agreement, say amen. Amen. Have a blessed week.